We're on a thousand planets and spreading out. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. To the bat poles. May the force be with you. Who is that mask? Avengers, assemble. Good afternoon and welcome to the Fantastic Forum. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. As always, we'll begin the show with some genre-related news. NASA announced Tuesday that Earth's first planetary defense technology demonstration, NASA's Double Asteroid Redirection Test, or DART, successfully redirected its asteroid target. It was the first time humanity has altered the motion of a celestial body. NASA Chief Bill Nelson told reporters in announcing the results, this is a watershed moment for planetary defense and a watershed moment for humanity. It felt like a movie plot, but this was not Hollywood. DART's celestial target was an egg-shaped asteroid named Dimorphos, roughly the size of a football stadium that was orbiting a parent asteroid about five times bigger called Didymos, once every 11 hours, 55 minutes. Findings of telescope observations confirmed the test flight of the DART spacecraft on September 26th bumped the asteroid target slightly closer to the larger parent asteroid and that its orbital period was shortened by 32 minutes. Scientists had predicted the DART impact would shorten Dimorphos' orbital path by at least 10 minutes, but would have considered a change as small as 73 seconds a success. So the actual change of more than a half hour with a margin of uncertainty plus or minus two minutes exceeded expectations. For more information about DART, you may visit the website at nasa.gov backslash DART. The 2002 Harvey Awards were presented last Friday at New York Comic Con. A full list of winners as well as the nominees can be found on the Fantastic Forum Facebook page. In the aftermath of Bassam Tariq relinquishing his role as director for Marvel Studios' upcoming Blade reboot, the studio is temporarily shutting down production-related activities in Atlanta, where the project was to have shot starting in November, while it conducts a search for a filmmaker and further develops the feature. Marvel currently projects production to restart in early 2023. Disney has pushed Blade from its previously scheduled November 3rd, 2023 release to September 6th, 2024. The world's first space tourist has arranged to take a flight around the moon. American engineer and entrepreneur Dennis Tito paid for an eight-day stay aboard the International Space Station in 2001. Now he's entered into a contract with Elon Musk for the moon flight aboard the SpaceX Starship. The trip will last about a week and bring Tito, his wife, and eight additional paying customers within about 125 miles of the lunar surface. The schedule for the flight has yet to be determined and certainly is years away. The SpaceX booster rocket is still in the testing and development stage, although NASA has contracted for a Starship to land its astronauts on the moon in or around 2025. The cost for Tito's trip was not revealed. However, 
he paid 20 million to the Russians for his excursion to ISS. The price tag for this trip will surely be considerably higher. New trailers dropped during last weekend's Star Trek panel at the New York Comic Con for Season 3 of Star Trek Picard and Season 2 of Star Trek Prodigy. You can view the trailers on one of the aforementioned FF social media pages. And while you're there, if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter and Instagram and like us on Facebook. We like to be followed and we love to be liked. Star Trek Picard returns February 16, 2023 for its final season on Paramount+, and Star Trek Prodigy returns to Paramount+, Thursday, October 27th. Some anniversaries since our last new episode two weeks ago, as Charles M. Schultz Peanuts syndicated comic strip debuted 72 years ago on October 2, 1950. And Cartoon Network launched 30 years ago on October 1st, 1992. There's some irony to the Cartoon Network anniversary as corporate restructuring from the Warner Brothers Discovery merger will likely mean the end of the network as we've known it. The company plan to merge Warner Brothers Animation and the Cartoon Network Studios has negative implications for Cartoon Network. Theoretically, the cost-saving measure of consolidating Warner Brothers Animation and Cartoon Network Studios wouldn't ideally have an adverse impact on either's ability to produce content. But looking realistically at the situation, it's difficult to imagine the two separate production branches that once had their own budgets could possibly maintain their previous output levels after being made to share resources. Already, some of Cartoon Network's most successful current franchises have seen episodes orders reduced by 50%. One can speculate that the Cartoon Network of the future might be more of a nostalgic brand Warner Brothers Discovery maintains for Warner Brothers Animation to develop new iterations of its old intellectual properties. If you're in the listening area, popular otaku convention Anime USA is this weekend. The show runs through tomorrow at the Hyatt Regency Crystal City here in Arlington. You can get more information by visiting the website at animeusa.org. Finally, some sad news this week as actor Austin Stoker passed away on October 7th. Stoker had been known to genre audiences for his role as McDonald in Battle for the Planet of the Apes and John Carpenter's Assault on Precinct 13. He also appeared in Sheba Baby, Airwolf, Horror High, Airport 1975, Abby, The Six Million Dollar Man, Time Walker, Scarecrow, and Mrs. King, among many others. He was 92. And Robert A. Madel died on October 8th. Madel was the founder and first president of First Fandom and the last surviving attendee of the first World Science Fiction Convention. He was 102. Today, we're talking about some of these news items and more. Joining me are Roberto Ortiz, Julian Lytle, and Mike Lunsford. Everybody, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me back again. Happy pleasure as always. Happy to have you guys yet again. I'm just so happy you all keep coming back. I just can't tell you. So I kind of like to start out this episode 
uh, talking a little bit about this space tourism thing. <laughs> I mean, because, hey, you know, I would but that we all had $20 million to drop. Nice. Well, yeah, you know, it really must be. You know, so, and, and uh, space tourism, of course, is absolutely becoming a thing. I mean, yeah. Tito, was the, he was the one who kicked off space tourism in 2001 becoming the first person to pay his own way to space and antagonizing NASA at the same time because uh, NASA didn't want a sightseer hanging around while the station was being built but apparently the Russians needed the money and so um, you know that launched a string of wealthy clients to the station through the 2000s but I understand that Japanese fashion tycoon Yusaku Mezawa announced in 2018 that he was buying an entire flight so he could take eight or so others with him preferably artists apparently and um, of course wealthy clients are lining up with Jeff Bezos's Blue Origin rocket company and Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic expects to be taking on paying passengers as early as next year so I'm just curious about uh, what you guys think about this I mean this is in some ways this is part of the boom in technology that all of us kind of expect as a natural outcome of uh, what we're seeing (laughs) for one of a better way to put it very much and I know I kind of stumbled all over that (laughs) you know how it is so uh so what do we think uh and um mike only because you're connecting remotely because ordinarily i'd be like roberto i know you got thoughts but mike let's start with you on that the biggest concern that i have is for all of us as sci-fi fans this is the beginning of like a dystopian society (laughs) when (laughs) yeah when (laughs) only the elite and only the rich get to do these sorts of things and like i it's been going on for decades now and you saw like i hate bringing his name up uh but you know the former host of the apprentice uh that guy Mm. um Mm. he i mean like he is only enabling this sort of mindset and thought process in doing the space force like you can say oh it's to defend us this is to defend us no there's an ulterior motive there and it it's something that it was never the domain of any person or any country and it seems like people are trying to stake their claim to space and it's honestly if we were going to compare this to any property it reminds me of the alien franchise and Very like Waylon yeah. Wutani like it it's it doesn't make me feel good which sucks because i love space and i love the idea of space exploration and i love the idea of being able to do these things but like i this it, it, this just puts a sour taste in my mouth throughout and like yes there will be good things that come from this like i'm not going to be blind to the fact that, that that's going to happen but just like the way it's happening and the fact that it's billionaires basically paying billionaires to do this sort of thing is just not it's not the way it should be but i mean here we are so hooray for capitalism <laughs> okay so um you know actually roberto Let's let you take up the anchor leg with this thing. And I'm curious about, because Julian is, you you have a very unique perspective on a lot of things. And, you know, it tends to be, I find it to be extremely pragmatic for the most part. So that being the case, I'm sort of curious where you line up on this. I don't um I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's, it's because it's like, it doesn't. It's like they're not going anywhere. They're just going up and they come back down. Like that's 
I don't even consider that space. That's like upper atmosphere stuff. Like, like I, I've already admit, like, reserved myself to the fact that I ain't gonna get a chance to, you know, go to space. Like, if somebody was like right now, it was like Julian, we fit to do this little joint to go to Mars, and you know, we need somebody to do X, Y, and Z. You down to go to space? I'd be like, yeah, I'll see all y'all later. Like, I'm fitting to go to space. Like. I'm done. I'm, I'm done with all y'all. I'm done with the earth. Like, we can, I can just go to space. Adios, muchachos. But I, you know what I'm saying? I have no problem being the space trucker. You know what I'm saying? I have no problem taking the replicants off to the to moons of Saturn so they can do the arduous labor. You know what I'm saying? I, you know, I tech support, you know, their little, their little biz to heal them up or whatever. I'm good. Like, we could go. But this is too early, man. It ain't... You know what I'm saying? I ain't even really going to see no space. And if they do hit the little space, I'm going to be too old to really, really, you know what I'm saying, get to go to those space. So, like, it's just it's whatever. Mm-hmm. They ain't really going to space. It's not like they're going to the moon and, and building some joints and doing some stuff. They ain't even being like Matt Damon trying to grow potatoes on Mars. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is <laughs> this is just completely, like, underwhelming. Like, mm. he ain't doing that in this space, man. He ain't nothing to, I can't go nowhere in space, bro. It's like. We supposed to be in space. I'm supposed to have a house that I can hit a button and go up. That's what the Jets <laughs> told me. <laughs> and they lied. You know what I'm saying? We we, we got lazy. We ain't want to build the real space. You know what I'm saying? This was whack. That's what it is. Ulysses. It's whack. Mm. All right. Well, uh, uh, that's pragmatic, though. And uh, ultimately, what I've been disappointed with is that apparently development of a lot of the technologies isn't cost effective and the reason we're killing people with bullets still is because it's cheaper than killing people with lasers and yeah, i'm like much, wow man. that's really disappointing bullets is mad yeah. it's mad cheap you know yeah, you, you, you can know. make a bullet in the crib it don't even take a lot you know what i'm saying like but we do got some special weapons you know what i'm saying we can really murder oh yeah we don't oh, we, yeah. we ain't got oh, yeah. lasers <laughs> you know we we, no, no, lasers. No, 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 no. no no we got lasers they just showing that they got them lasers. You know, <laughs> do you really want the police department with lasers? Nah, I'm good. Let's let's leave that with in Dolphins' hands. <laughs> Sorry, they showed me the phaser 60 minutes, like 15, 16 years ago. Oh, I know they got the, the bangers. They ain't bringing that. Like, we ain't been in no real serious war. That's why we had to bring out the heavy hitters. We ain't had to pull out the the mock Tim playing like in top gun maverick you know what i'm saying you know they got that they gotta bring that out yet mm. wait till we see the veritex come out here mm. playing turning into robots watch it's oh come hit. on you know that if they do that it's gonna be the japanese who are actually going through they can't right. have no military Roberto. you mean that's changing uh they might change yeah. they want to change want is different than ability defense force there but yeah, roberto since you started talking let's hear it okay for me, <laughs> ignoring the environmental impact this is going to have. Let's take that off the table because it has one. Specifically in terms of the amount of carbon you're throwing every time you do one of those flights. Let's take that off the table. I think it's a win-win. And here's why. It's a win because the development of space travel is going to continue developing. And kind of like the early flight, the more it gets developed, the cheaper it goes and the number of people can go. Why is it win-win in the other hand? The billionaires being the ones being on front. Well, as a student of history, I love the the fact that history tends to rhyme and people forget specifically that every time you had something where humanity goes to an unexplored or foreign territory that is completely foreign to them, a lot of people die. 
And for example, when the early explorers that basically came from Europe to North America, let's ignore the fact that there were already native nations here, but a lot of people from Europe who came here in the early colonies, a lot of those colonies just died, disappeared. Roanoke, places like that, completely gone because they couldn't handle the change in the environment. All these rich little guys keep thinking how awesome it would be to live in Mars. And they have no grasp of the idea in terms of what's going to do to their psyche to be somewhere where there's absolutely nothing. And I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of those people just going cocoa for cocoa pops. I don't think that the astronauts and the people who basically know what they're getting themselves into, into are not going to do badly because these people have trained all their lives and they prepared and they are very, they're like sharp knives that they know what they're doing. Come on, you're going to tell me that a rich little boy, a man, whatever, who just basically just happens to have that because of inheritance money, that money, and it's going to go to a, a moon colony or a Mars colony and going to go to space, it's going to be able to have the mental fortitude, for, forget about physical, to be able to endure what is really space travel, hardcore part of it is going to be. There's even a reason why Starfleet has a freaking academy to prepare people to go to space. Oh, come on. Uh. Hold that thought. You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming via WERA.FM. We are your community radio station. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I am joined today by Roberto Ortiz, Julian Lytle, and Mike Lunsford. And we've been talking a little bit about this uh, plan by this guy, Tito, who has contracted with Elon Musk to go into outer space. So, Roberto, the only thing that I would say in response, we're still a long way oh, from yeah. somebody paying their way to go to Mars. I mean, all this guy's talking about doing is orbiting the moon, basically. Okay, I'm so, going to throw you one. No, no, there. psychologically, I understand right, you're, where you're you are with that, too, you know? All right. Wait, wait, wait. We so haven't even got to the moon. No, we're talking about orbiting the moon. Because you're no, like, wait, you're on the moon. No, okay, I am on the moon. Let's say we orbit I'm the in moon. a studio in Arlington, Virginia. And something goes wrong. What people forget, specifically when the... Wait, wait, wait. The, I got an answer for that. I can answer for that. So, yeah. The rich but, people are up on the ship. And something goes yeah, wrong, the thing and is that, everybody dies. But, but here, everybody think, dies. Think about the, <laughs> That's the, what's going to happen. The people, what people forget specifically is that when NASA picked the Mercury 7 astronauts, the reason they went to test pilots is because they knew correctly that if crap hits a fan, these are people who have been trained to be able to think on their toes and be able to survive. Well, and make no mistake, during the selection process, there were a bunch of guys Yep. Test pilots, yes, you know, uh, naval aviators, hardcore, uh, yeah, you know, air force pilots, uh, guys who washed out, yes, because they couldn't take it, exactly. You know? and, and then actually, some of the best pilots that we had didn't even get to try because they were either civilian pilots or they hadn't been to college. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> th th thank you. Yeah, yeah, but, and <laughs> but but that's the thing. Yeah. It's like what these billionaires don't understand is that they think. Ha. Well, they that, think their money is going to insulate them exactly. from that somehow, but it's not. And you're right. If something goes wrong, everybody's going to die. They're going up die. there by themselves. You're acting like they're flying the ship. 
Okay, but yeah, well, okay. But let's let's look at the realistic thing. Rich people used to pay on these boats to come over to this country while they was shipping over people's cargo and everything else. Who do you think did the work? It wasn't the rich people. But it was the, the people thing, who ran the ship, right? Well, but the thing is that the things that they wasn't that, built for the water. Of course not. But they, you have to remember specifically that at the end of the day, on the Roanoke colony, it didn't matter if you were that. rich, rich or or poor. Yeah, you know, but that's just one. They, yeah, they, they, it, they was very successful later. Yeah, I'm later, sorry, yes. Mike, Mike. You're trying to say something there? No, not really. Okay. I'm just I'm tired of, of of us glorifying billionaires playing. Yeah. Whatever it is, whether it's in yeah. space, whether it's with uh, Twitter, whether it's with whatever. Like it's just like, oh look, isn't this neat? Like it it feeds into the problem that's that's going on with our country right now. Yeah. Of us like deifying people because they have money and like it's it's not making it any better and like i i understand exactly what julian's saying where it's kind of like eh, yawn whatever they're not actually doing anything yet but like oh i find it entertaining oh, oh god the concern <laughs> that i have with it is is just it's the exact same song and dance you know because like it, it's gonna continue to not insulate but it's gonna continue to make people who don't really understand uh one of your favorite terms uh you believe people who are not media literate are going to see this and automatically think, oh, well, they're better than me because they have money and they've been to space and therefore I should vote for them and they should be in power and they should control everything. And it's just going to continue to propagate that cycle that's been causing so much uh, issue with our country in the last, well, actually, no, ever. Like, it's always been like that. The rich make the rules and they get to do whatever they want. And then, like, the people who are struggling just kind of get to sit there and watch. And it's... This is just another example of that, Mike. Okay, I'll give you an Spoken example. Spoken like a true proletariat, my friend. No, but to yeah. follow what he just said, look at how this has affected on the real world. Elon Musk specifically is affecting, for example, public policy in the U.S., for example. Yeah. Las Vegas. Well, anybody who's got enough money can affect public policy in the but U.S. he admitted I mean, on seriously that he's doing it on purpose I oh think. they're all doing it on no, purpose that's what a campaign the, donation is but the example i'm giving is specifically is have to do with the hyperloop for example he confessed to his interviewer that the reason he basically was pushing this idea is because he wanted to derail most of the high speed rail in the u.s and what's going to happen for example in terms of him affecting public policy is that if you check what he's doing in las vegas right now where he's implementing a network of uh, tunnels just for Tesla cars. Hmm. And only the rich will be able to use those tunnels. Instead of being public transportation, you know, subways, metros, wait, things like that. You have to. Hey, I said I, most of I heard he hasn't actually completed or done anything oh, he substantially did oh, no, in he California did. or no, Vegas. Las Vegas is going to happen. They whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let him finish. What I mean. There's a lot of talk. There's a lot of starting. There's no actual real. We he started talking about Hyperloop like five, six what, years ago. Oh, yeah, but and they, they, they should have tested it by now in multiple places, hmm. and they ain't test nothing. And I get you. You worried about the Tesla car? I bet you in ten years that won't be able to, to be the standard electric vehicle. The standard electric vehicle is going to come from Toyota and Ford. Oh, I agree. But the thing is that the reason. And he, then Mercedes, and then all the other ones where actual stuff, actual rich people care about buying. Again, oh, wait. And, and is that, that the Verge? You're showing me something on the Verge, like that's real news. That is a, that is a legitimate tech site. 
if you care about actual tech news, okay. Well, you, well, tech. I put it like this: I wouldn't go to to New York Times for tech news. They do have some good reporters, but the people who's on doing the they on the beat every minute of every day, I'm most likely going to the verge. Okay, all right. Well, I appreciate that, but he, he, here's my point. Um, what I get from that is that yes. Technologically, this is certainly something that is doable. But generally, the reason that you have governments that are the ones that are dealing with mass transit is mm -hmm. because of the expense involved with developing and maintaining mass transit systems. And even an individual as wealthy as Elon Musk, I got to believe there's, there's more to this than him just saying what well, then his effort to frustrate high-speed rail which to be honest you don't have to do a whole lot to frustrate uh, high-speed rail in this country he <laughs> confessed that the reason he found funded the boring company which is the company that makes tunnels this is what he's going to be building in las vegas yeah but but I, i'm telling you I, but because high-speed rail isn't like a that, real thing but, but actually you know? i mean it, well no uh, what it's i mean is here. Not here, but yeah, the United well, States of America. Exactly, and that's what I'm talking but about. You don't. When I said I was not joking when I just said you don't have to do much to frustrate he, the development of high-speed rail in the United States. Specifically, in an interview. you ain't got to do hard. I, I could frustrate the development of high-speed rail. Okay, but and I am right now. But here's the, <laughs> you know? the kind of mentality he has. The reason, specifically, he's funding the Boring Company, which is a company that builds tunnels. So Teslas. Teslas, electric cars, can go into those tunnels instead of public transportation. Yeah. It's because I mean, assuming said, you've got these tunnels. Yeah, but the thing is that he's actually got the money in Las Vegas to build this network. And the reason he built that is because this is where the inspiration came from. This is something he admitted. It's because he was stalking traffic in Santa Monica and he was wondering, I only have to drive five miles. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a special lane I could go underground to get from point A to point B? It sounds really good, but first you, you first you got to be money. first. It, well, you that's, gotta have that's the, the start. Execution. It. My problem with this is, yes, thank you. is that you this go. week, you know what he did? He was like, hey, NASA, please take Starlink from me because I no longer want to fund this satellite phone network that I started. And you, you and I give it out to the people in Ukraine so they can use it during the war. But you know what? I really don't want to fund this anymore. Hey, United States federal government. Please take this on because you actually have the means and infrastructure to get it done. So, you know, what? my problem is it's like I get it. He's a very forward-facing rich guy that says a lot of things that don't make no sense. He saw a movie with, with Robert Downey Jr. And he's like, yo, I could be that publicly. He's not smart enough. He doesn't make anything. He doesn't do anything. He's not even good at getting development and things pushed across. We live in Washington, D.C. We see buildings come up all the time. We know developers who know how to get things done. I haven't seen it yet. He makes a car that sometimes doesn't work because they do not test it. No, I'm putting my faith in the Ford company, the people who run Toyota, all the people who own, own the, the European car. They're going, you know who I believe in? Bezos. Bezos is effective. He's yeah. always been effective. He's always going to be effective. He's a problem. I'm, yeah. I'm with I'm with Julian on this. Like yeah. the problem the problem with uh, Musk is Musk is a con man. Musk plays a plays a really really good game of talking big and going on Joe Rogan and smoking weed with him while he's doing it. And man, he looks cool. And look at all these models that he dates. Exactly. Like he's he's 
the real life evil version of Tony Stark. But like every single thing that he gets credit for, he hasn't actually done. He didn't invent Tesla. He bought Tesla. Mm-hmm. He, didn't, he yeah. hasn't done anything. And the fact that people think that he has, they're like, oh, he created PayPal. No, the heck he did not. He was in the middle of trying to do a merger with another company that was doing something similar with PayPal. And like really had nothing to do with it. In fact, he was made CEO of the company and then fired two months later and just happened to get a severance package because he was part of the original deal. Everybody loves giving this dude credit for being like some innovator, some genius. No, he's just a rich, spoiled brat who has money from his dad's emerald mines that all came from- In South Africa, don't forget. I don't really have any love for this dude if you haven't been able to tell. But like, I'm not a big fan of con men who try to act like they're on the cutting edge of everything just because they go on popular talk shows and things like that and try to look cool. Like, no, no thank you. Yeah, Damn. I'm, I'm over his nonsense. Good now, job, Mike. <laughs> well, and I tell you what, Mike has a real point. On top of which, um, Roberto, I appreciate what you're saying about Las Vegas, but just investing in the company that digs tunnels that, that's not enough you got to actually dig some tunnels and then you got to maintain those tunnels i mean it sounds great but i ain't gonna be riding around in a bunch of tunnels underground i mean i you know hey exactly. well, let me tell you something first collapse of a tunnel and all of a sudden the liability involved and a whole bunch of people lose their shirt and he's gonna be thinking yeah geez that starlight thing starlink that that, that looked awful good can i get back into that or finding the next thing. But can you imagine if something like that had been done in Washington DC that instead of having us, the Metro, we just have this network of tunnels that only cars could go and the Metro could not be built because of that? That's all the Metro is though. Well, but well, the Metro wait, is wait, not wait, about cars. Hold, on, break, hold right? on there, hold on there, <laughs> because that musical cue means it's time for us to take a short break because Fantastic Forum comes to you via WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. We're a community media station. That means, among other things, that we're non-commercial. We rely on the ongoing generosity of our underwriters, sponsors, and listeners like you to maintain the high-quality programming you have come to enjoy and expect from WERA. Visit the website at WERA.FM or that of our parent organization, Arlington Independent Media at ArlingtonMedia.org to find out how you can make your tax-deductible gift in support of community media today. In the meantime, take a break, put your feet up, you got time to go get a drink because Julian and Mike and Roberto and I are going to be back in two and two no not really that's what the guy on that other show used to say i thought that was funny so um but we'll be right back after these messages don't go away because there's more fantastic forum yet to come And welcome back to the Fantastic Forum here on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming online at WERA.FM. Radio Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Julian Lytle, Mike Lunsford, and Roberto Ortiz. And when we took the break, we were, we had absolutely, I don't know if they've gone down the rabbit hole, gone down the borehole, talking about 
the I guess ultimately it was about the impact that billionaires have. We had actually yeah. started out talking about uh, billionaires paying these exorbitant uh, sums to go into space, and it kind of spiraled off from there. But and I think we probably beat that dead horse all we want because you know ultimately where I alight on this is kind of closer to what Julian had expressed and what Mike had expressed either in terms of a certain degree of apathy on my part regarding this or recognition that a lot of it is fraught with peril yeah. for the implications for our society and uh, that's that could be a whole nother show but in terms of dystopian futures uh, it's Elysium that it reminds yes. me all of <laughs> to be honest <laughs> so there's that hey but here in the second half of the show I thought that we might talk a little bit about the genres themselves and I, I really I was I was torn about this particular topic and I uh, spoke with the panelists because I wasn't sure whether or not what I'm thinking of here might be a little too personal, but I'm thinking about uh, how how we all feel about these genres and uh, what drew us in. And because I, I hear in my casual conversations with a lot of fans about how comic books saved their lives or science fiction saved their lives or you know stuff like that and that's extremely meaningful and I'm sure that that is something that resonates with a lot of people who are listening to the show so I thought that was what we would talk about in the second half and uh, I'll start out uh, since I'm asking everybody to uh, talk about something that is kind of personal potentially uh, I discovered comic books when I was in first grade and there was a sweet shop that was down the street from us and um, went in there one day with my mom and there was a giant sized Batman well it was a, it was a regular Batman but it was a giant sized issue like expanded content and I really wanted this comic I mean I had seen Batman on TV because I had seen the filmation cartoon and I had seen the Adam West uh, show and so I'm like, hey, mommy, can I get this? And so my mom got it for me, and it was really cool. One of the things that was in there was this uh, story called The Hand from Nowhere. It was a reprint from a much earlier issue of Batman. And Lex Luthor turned out to be the villain, and I was too done. I'm like, wait, Lex Luthor, he fights Superman. What's he doing fighting Batman? And I thought that was really cool because it was a crossover kind of thing. I was always attracted to the the colorful costumes of the characters and their heroism and their nobility and uh, their powers. And I just thought that it was just the cat's pajamas as the expression goes. And uh, that was kind of what drew me in. What kept me were the friends that I made along the way. Uh, I started going to uh, fan conventions in the mid 1970s. Uh, there was a Marvel Comics convention that was in 1974 in New York at the old Commodore Hotel. And I went to that because I had seen my parents go to conventions. And I'm like, well, this is, you know, they got the professional convention. You know, here's my dad going to the dental convention, my mom going to the teacher's convention. I'm like, well, this is a convention for me. And I was really excited and I made a costume, made a vision costume. And I went to this convention and it was like nothing I had ever seen before. 
And uh, two years later, well, I went to two uh, comic conventions. And then the following year, I was visiting my aunt out in the Bay Area in San Francisco. They had a Star Trek convention. I'm like, well, I like Star Trek. Let's go to this, too. And opened up a whole new world. But um, subsequent to that, uh, there was another creation uh, used to hold these conventions in New York and at the old Statler Hilton Hotel. And it was right after Star Wars had come out and, um, you know, fall of uh, 77. And I went to this convention, and some of the people that I met there continue to be my friends to this day. And so um, I get, I don't know, uh, comics and science fiction, come in for the costumes and the excitement, stay for the friendship, and you will be enriched. And uh, that is kind of my little story about it. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, who else, <laughs> is, who else has got something that they want to talk about on that front i'm game yeah okay uh, all right my go mom for it used to work as um my mom had two jobs when i was growing up she used to be a special ed teacher in the mornings and as soon as she left that she used to work in an er from 3 to 11. so every day from 8 to 11 my mom used to work so right after school uh I was basically a latchkey kid, which is typical for a Gen Xer. And uh, uh, needless to say, my childhood was not exactly uh, sunshine and rainbows. So I am grateful that I had Star Trek in the afternoons in Spanish, which was hilarious. And um, I grew up with Star Trek in Spanish. so you're living then, in Puerto Rico, right? Yeah. Mm. Then in the late 80s, uh, I remember getting my first taste of comic books. Uh, ironically, it's like it's like a drug addict basically starting with heroin. And, uh, <laughs> and the first comic book that I got was uh, the first issue of Crisis on the Infinite Earths by George Perez, which is like I had no clue what a crossover was. Oh, my God. And I remember how amazing the art was, how amazing the story was, and I got hooked. And I thought, silly me, that all comic books were gonna be as good as this monster of a comic book. Um, conventions came later, specifically, uh, I started escalating basically in terms of my, my addiction <laughs> for content. And then in the 90s, I started attending conventions. Because um, back then in Puerto Rico, they weren't that many. Now there are a lot of uh, conventions. Uh, and uh, it meant a lot to me, specifically. Uh, I. But the thing is, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. There's a lot of people who basically will say how, how it, it's either changed or saved their lives. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, let's just get in, in, in the category of giving credit where credit is due. Marv Wolfman. Yeah. was uh, also a writer on Crisis on Infinite Earths. Mike, what about you? It's, it's a funny balance for me because growing up with it, growing up being a geek, a nerd, you know, like ah. it, used to, it used to not be something that you could actually admit. Nope. And like I know that um, probably most of y'all can, can identify with that. And it's, it's something that it used to be something you would hide. I remember not wanting to tell girls that I was into Star Wars because I was afraid they would think I was a nerd and not want to talk to me. Um, same thing with comic books. I didn't want to admit that I was reading comic books. I didn't want to admit that I that I loved them. That like 
I didn't want to tell everybody that like when I would go home at night, I would watch Star Trek The Next Generation. It was like a security blanket. It was a way for me to fall asleep. And like it was just comforting. And that I loved these things. There were notebooks upon notebooks of pictures of the USS Enterprise that I had uh. drawn when I was a little kid. And like it, it, it did mean a lot to me. There, there were various points in my life when there was a lot of stressful stuff going on. Um, in particular when I was in the military and like I poured myself, I would go to the PX um, and buy every single crappy extended universe Star Wars book that I possibly could and read them from cover to cover because it was an escape because it was better than what was going on in the real world. And like these things were, were super important to me. And like what, what's, what's really encouraging is as I delved into this thing that we do now, the podcasting and, and running websites that are about geeky, nerdy things, it was a chance to connect with all these people who had these similar stories. You know, we all came from different places from different times, but we all had these things. And that's honestly the best part about it is that you get to share this with other people. And like, now we see that it's okay to be a nerd. Yeah. But like at the same time, we also know, hey, we remember what it felt like to be like this. So let's never make anybody ever feel like this ever again. And like knowing that there are like-minded people who are into the same things, but won't let those people who are nerds basically treat others as like bullies. And like, that's one of the things that I love about it the most. Mm. And the cool thing is that uh, if I expand on that, uh, because Mike mentioned, mentioned specifically how during a stressful time, he basically turned to science fiction, specifically Star Wars. I've been reading a lot on, on Reddit specifically that a lot of people basically found Star Trek during the pandemic, surprisingly enough. Hmm. And a lot of people credit being able to ride the wave of how horrible the past four years have been. Well, for a while, thanks to being able to binge watch Star Trek and get into that universe. And it's fascinating for me, reading the younger generation people who are teenagers, 20 somethings, early 30s, who had never even considered, you know, giving it a try to something like my passion is Star Trek. Star Trek and finding themselves lost in this world and being grateful that it gave them, uh, in this difficult time, a, a, a welcome security blanket and escape. Hmm. You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming online at WERA.FM. We are... Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Roberto Ortiz, Mike Lunsford, and Julian Lytle. And Julian, you're the only one that we haven't gotten to yet on this. Oh, like how I got into all this stuff. Um, <laughs> I guess uh, with comics, um, it was a mix of being in the, the people's drugstore, because that was um, the, the dominant pharmacy here until CVS bought them up. And took away the wonderful people's drug. Um, and my mom buy me Superman post-crisis number 16. A detective comics with uh, the demon on it. So around the same time. And an issue of Transformers where Buster and Fortress Maximus was at a ski lodge. Wow. And then um, my stepdad getting me uh, Spectacular Spider-Man. Uh, by Sal Buscema. Um, what's, his, what's his What's his best friend again? Norman Harry. Yeah. Harry just came back as 
going he just gone crazy again. You know what I'm saying? But I read it and it was cool. Mm-hmm. It was all right. Um What's the Superman by John Byrne? It is it's a post crisis, so he wasn't doing all the books, but yeah, it's that mm-hmm. same era. Mm-hmm. Mike Mignola drew the drew the issue. That's wow. all I forgot about it. Um but I didn't become a comic book fan until I saw them X Men by Jim Lee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The realness. Yeah. Yeah. The thrill of of superhero comics. Yeah. The realness. And that's what really brought me in, comic book wise, was the X Men. For a long period of time I didn't consider myself a Marvel fan. I was an X Men fan. Mm. I occasionally read Spider Man. I ain't give a I ain't care about no Avengers. Who cares about the Avengers? They was whacked, they had little Little weak jacket song, they was trash. You know what I'm saying? All the rest of the heroes was whack. <laughs> X Men was fired. Um, TV shows, it was like, it's TV shows. Um, my mom, my stepdad, they watched, they watched Star Trek. Star Trek Nation Journey came on. It was a cool show. It has an android in it, it has a guy with a weird forehead in it. They own a spaceship. It's not that much different from cartoons. Um, they got me into Doctor Who, though. So, mm. like, um, you know, there's a point where 80s where a lot of this stuff just becomes consumer, like consumer stuff to sell kids stuff, like Transformers, G.I. Joe. Those are toy commercials. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. You got to be honest. Those toy commercials, we just, they just use capitalism to make us so we never get, grow up. So our nostalgia isn't the Beatles and uh, diners and happy days. It's... Yo, action figures and toy sets and other things like that, but I don't. I I was never picked on for liking this stuff. I was picked on for being overweight. I was picked on for being shy. Everybody liked the X Men. They had mm-hmm. the most popular cartoon on TV. Everybody liked Batman. They showed his show on Sunday nights. They showed the cartoon before like all the Fox shows. It's like it was popular stuff. Like who didn't like Batman? Who ain't Superman was lit. So some of that stuff I don't I came up in the time where like comics were selling eight million copies. Mm-hmm. There was no what do you mean? What do you mean? Like the rappers talked about liking all the superheroes. They was in the rhymes. The video games was fire. You go to the arcade, you playing Street Fighter, oh they, Capcom, oh they didn't make an X-Men game, bruh. <laughs> Give me them quarters, it's over. Like, nah, it was never a thing. Like I still even like I, I still don't relate like Star Wars wasn't my thing, so like nobody really cared about Star Wars like that. It was there's it, other things to get picked on about, mm. but mm. like it's like I get it, I empathize with those folks, but it's just like I don't totally understand uh, younger black people who sadly had to grow up in the suburbs and be only one or two black kids in class. I, I went to a class full of black people with black teachers. I don't I don't relate. I know it exists, but. Uh, I feel sorry for those people, but at this point, y'all, everybody won. So even when they're getting all their panties in bunches, universal panties, non-gendered panties in bunches, <laughs> that uh, like y'all won. Everybody likes the same thing now. You yeah. know, as is evidenced by the Re- fact that it's selling billions and billions, and you know the Marvel thing is revenge of the, the nerds happened. The yes. alpha beta's lost and the world didn't improve. Mm-hmm. Actually, maybe the alpha beta should return. The, the, <laughs> the worst part that the worst thing that happened in my life was that that movie came out. What Revenge of the Nerds? Yeah. Oh God, yeah. Why is that? 
there's a reason why Stephen King he's in his 70s and he still writes bullies like they're demons from spawns from hell uh, I got actively bullied uh, saying that I'm still in therapy for that crap and um, I mean and they didn't know what was different it was not because of my my gender it was not because I was there was something wrong with me but they couldn't put a name on it and it drove me crazy right the the people who are LGBT back then even they were in the closet which is fine but at least they could put a label on that they could put them on a very neat box that they could understand so but why did they think there was something wrong with you they still do <laughs> who says that what are you saying that in past tense well you're a little unusual but I wouldn't no, like but, label but, that but I mean you know let's say, say he's a geek he's a nerd if, if there's still like, people that's like calling you a quote unquote nerd like you're just around basic people no, like, they're not that's, cool. that's, Remember yeah, in that mundane, movie, the know. black people was the ones who saved everybody because nobody was cooler than Bernie Casey. That's what changed. <laughs> that's, that's why when I watched that movie, I was like, oh, no, I'm the Tri-Lambdas. So all that stuff mm. y'all doing, y'all ain't pulling that joint on Bernie Casey and them. But the mm. difference that happened is that basically the 90s happened, thank God, and mainstream geek culture. But back in the 80s, specifically early 80s, you know this, you basically your generation basically wasn't the beginning of change but still wasn't there if you were geeky uh you were made to understand that you didn't belong you really were it was crystal clear and if it wasn't clear they will physically make sure you knew you don't have a choice here and specifically in terms of what it's like pick your poison but it's gonna be poison that's why i get upset when the 90s started happening, Sailor Moon happened, and also when girls started basically joining, uh, and anime started happening, thank God, and girls started joining basically the geek community, and that's why it draws me bananas that the geeks, and I'm and with Kevin Smith saying this, is like, wait, you guys are complaining that girls like this stuff now? What's wrong with you? <laughs> Seriously. And that's why I hate gatekeepers, because it's like, this means a lot to a lot of kids. Let them enjoy it. It's cool. It's if if it changes what you like, fine. Let it evolve. Let the new generations come in. There's nothing wrong with that. But um, but yeah, I, I am strong believer specifically that this stuff saves a lot of kids' lives. It's very important. There's kids I heard that named that their father freaking figure was Optimus Prime for the love of God because there was no father figure in their lives. In my case, was uh, Superman of all people. Uh, it means something to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I hear yes. you. And 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 you know, I I I suppose in the greatest comic book tradition, uh, the way that I dealt with that was, I developed it as my secret identity. And That's you know, smart. I yeah, well, I, I was determined uh, to because I wanted to enjoy my high school experience, and so um, I. You know, played sports, and I got contact lenses, and I did some of this stuff. You know, because I I wanted to be able to conform enough so that these other yeah. things, you know, weren't a problem. And you know, I mean, and I always embraced them, but I, again, I did so clandestinely. And uh, in fact, same, and it, yeah, yeah, same, yeah, you know? like, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. I was allowed. I was. I had no shame, and I don't care. It's like 
I, oh, I had any shame. Like, I mean, this was a part of me. I mean, it was. Yeah, I mean, wow. but again, it was my secret identity. You know, I mean, and I wasn't. That wasn't for public consumption. Some of this stuff. Oh. I mean, and let me tell you something. We had some. There were some crucial moments. I mean, because it was this one Star Trek convention. We was over in New York, and uh, and my buddy saw him before. But we saw some kids from our school, and it was like, oh, we can't let them see us. You know, <laughs> it was like because we were all in costume and whatnot. It was like, oh man. I mean, I've had so. Let me tell you something. I've had some some really scary moments. I mean, you're coming home from the store with your action figures, and uh, I had Sue Storm in there, too, because I wanted the whole Fantastic Four. And you definitely can't, you couldn't get caught with action figures, let alone a female action figure. And my boy was slick, because we got, kind of got caught, and you know, yeah, opened the bag up, and you know, yeah, showed him something, and he threw the, the bag away like there was nothing left in it. But that's where Sue Storm was in the bag. I was like, dude! That was sweet the way you did that. Right. And we were going to get caught. We were going to get caught for that I, and not for the whole Yeah, line. I do think, let's say, doing things like buying action figures over a certain age, that became, to me, I didn't think that became okay until, like, post-40-year-old virgin. Mm. Yes. Because that Good movie, point. That yes. movie was, so, was pretty interesting. But it's just it got to a point where, again, a certain number of people grew up and their nostalgia is the things that they grew up with. So, mm-hmm. for the previous generation, again, it's going to the the was the the malt shop, the or diner, whatever yeah. you know, mid mid century America white baby boomer thing, and then maybe for black people, it's like going to maybe a P funk concert or something. It's something else, right? It's something else. But you get old enough, and it's like, nah, like. Nah, like I want Octus Prime back because I had it yeah. and mom got rid of it. And now they're going to charge me the, the oh, now you got money tax. So they're going <laughs> to hit you for the 150. And, and it just, it just, it just things is going to be different. It's going to be different. Some of the, you know what? All, realistically, a lot of this stuff is going to go out of favor because the nostalgia is going to be different. When other generations get older. Which is yeah. good. Yeah, we're it's already good. seeing that. We'll see. We'll yeah. see how the geek world handles falling out of I think, favor. I think one of the biggest lessons I learned from it, though, is in discussing this. Like, I, And it took me until I was in my like 30s to really realize it. That like that whole high school experience, like Yuli was describing, of essentially having like a secret identity. I tried to do the same thing. I tried to be the jock. I tried to be the popular person, the person that was cool. Like you couldn't like those things if you wanted to be cool. And realizing that if I had embraced that, I probably would have had a whole different set of friends that were probably a lot more long-lasting. Because the people that I'm friends with now from high school are all the people that are into that stuff. And like if I had been genuine with myself, that it probably would have been a better experience. And ultimately, that's the lesson I learned. But it's also like all that much more, more rewarding because you learned it for yourself, and hmm. like that was that was kind of my experience with the whole thing. Hmm. Yeah. Well, fortunately, um, I I went along, you know, with some friends, and we all kind of had our secret identities. You know, in fact, we were secretly superheroes from when we were in eighth grade, and you know, we were making up stories and all that. But uh, you know, so I had like. You know, little cabal of folks, because you know, I, I I certainly don't want to imply to anybody that part of the secret identity was, oh, now I'm acting like a jock and I'm gonna belittle somebody else for liking the same thing I do. So no, we ain't doing no Larry like Larry, Larry Craig toe tapping stuff. You know, it's like no, we're gonna be full in. You know, and uh, you know you because you you don't take this out on somebody else. Anyway, though, look, 
Uh, I would love to keep going with this, but unfortunately, we are out of time for today's show. I'd like to thank my panelists and you, too, for tuning in. Of course, Fantastic Forum is also a television show. You can check your local listings or go to the website at fantasticforum.tv. We've got complete episodes of the show, as well as segments broken out for your convenience. You can also listen to Fantastic Forum as a podcast. This very radio program is available as a podcast, thanks to our friends over at the Great Geek Refuge. You can find it on all the platforms where your favorite podcasts are available. And make sure to get it, find it, download it, take it, take it with you. Also, the show re-airs each and every Sunday at 4 p.m. from 4 to 5. So we're on Saturdays and Sundays. I'm not crazy about it, but I didn't have a choice about it, so what the hell. And, uh, of course, we're back in first run each and every Saturday, 4 to 5 p.m. Tune in again next week, same bat time, same bat station. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, people. Thank you so much for coming out. And stay geeky, my friends. Stay geeky.